2: and 365 day returns.
0: I would have liked to know you, but I was just a kid. Your candle burned out long before. Your legend never will.
1: It is Monday, which means it's time for the Front 3 Weekend Review with me, Adam with the one and only Lawrence McKenna. Good to have you. And the man, the myth, the legend that is, Chris Hennig.
3: Nice to be here.
1: Oh, nice to have you here. There's so much to talk about from this weekend, guys. We're going to be reviewing the Premier League action, including Liverpool's draw with Chelsea, Spurs dropping more points at home against West Brom and Newcastle being hammered at St. James's Park by Watford we're also going to be talking to Serie A correspondent from the sportsman Chloe Beresford about AC Milan who have sacked their manager Vincenzo Montella and hired club legend Gennaro Gattuso what could possibly go wrong there and finally in part 3 we'll be discussing some of the other big moments from around Europe this weekend including Lionel Messi's ghost goal from this weekend that denied Barcelona victory against Valencia i we'll also be talking Borussia Dortmund's capitulation surrendering a four goal lead uh half-time to Schalke to draw four, all and what that means for manager Peter Bosch. And finally, Patrick Kluivert's son. Turns out he's quite good at football. We'll talk about that later on. But first, And of Lawrence. course, Gary
0: Megson. Megson, must be Megson. And
1: we'll be talking about Megson and banter and all that good stuff. But we've got to start, Lawrence, with Liverpool. The big game this weekend. They welcomed Chelsea to Anfield. One all in the end. Was that a fair result, do you think, on the balance of play? I think Chelsea um, and
0: Liverpool didn't create enough clear-cut chances for either team to really feel um, like they dominated the game. Uh, Conte, in the post-match, was saying how he thought that Chelsea could have won it. That's possible. I think Liverpool um, can look very open. But I think maybe to the the coaches who are looking, they know exactly what their tactic is. And Conte will have known what areas he wanted Chelsea to get into. Um, I think he will have... Uh, identified that they could have scored more against Liverpool. But at the same time, I think Liverpool could also put more of their chances away. So, one I was probably fair. I think overall, in terms of play, Chelsea looked much more um, cohesive as a side. I think they look much more defined in terms of roles. And you especially see this when Liverpool play. The, the teams who look incredibly well-drilled, disciplined, and also have very well-defined roles. Whereas it seems a lot more like Klopp is... Um, uh, able to maybe let Salah, Mane, or if Mane was playing the full full amount of time, um, and uh, you know the likes of Sturridge to roam, which at time leaves too much space and a ball will go errant or it's not quite right. So I think Liverpool can be just as upset for not winning the game, because especially the way that they conceded the goal. I mean, to watch a ball sail a sail over some of yeah after it was supposed to be a shross. It's definitely a, a cross,
1: wasn't it? There's no way it was. I mean, yeah, he, he looked
0: surprised.
1: Yeah, as we all did. As we all did. Yeah. It's yeah, interesting what Lawrence saying there, Chris. I mean, uh, Chelsea, they seem to be setting up in this 3 5 1 1 formation, especially in the big games away from home. Obviously, defensively solid, but didn't really trouble Liverpool as it did West Brom uh, the previous week in the Premier League. Do you think maybe. Uh, just as we criticised Mourinho for perhaps not being aggressive enough in attacking Liverpool's frailties, do you think you could level the same accusation at Conte in this game?
3: No, I thought. I thought from from what I saw of the game, I thought it just moved at such a frenetic pace that it was hard to, to generate any real rhythm. Um, I th- I think to go to, to Liverpool in the first place, I don't know if the onus is on you to try and win the game. I think that for that reason it, uh a draw is, is a fairly decent-ish result um, when you consider how they played as well. I don't, I don't think they intended to to go and uh, draw the game. I think they they wanted to try and suck Liverpool in, which is a, a, a sizable difference to, to what others have done. Um, and yeah, I just think when you looked at the speed of Liverpool and then the speed of Chelsea alongside it, it, it to me it seemed like it was. It was just too difficult to even generate anything that felt even remotely uh, intricate.
0: I think it's also fair to say, though, that obviously Hazard was fouled out of the game. I don't think that Conte's solution came fast enough to change that because he knew that he would be fouled out of the game. But it didn't seem like Murata was able, um, during this game, um, um, foil, if you like, for Hazard. I don't think he had quite enough support from what he needed. They looked very solid defensively, like Chris said. Um, They definitely played differently to the way that Manchester United chose to approach Liverpool earlier on in the season. But it felt like a lot of it went through Hazard, which was great when it came off. But too often, it's a bit like, almost like playing Juventus when they tried to go through Hazard, because he he was never allowed to get close enough to do any real damage. He was just allowed to wander around in the areas that he was, Liverpool sort of felt comfortable with him being. Um, So it was... I think it was frustrating to watch as well, because you knew that Chelsea had Willian and those guys on the bench who, as soon as they came on, I was much more worried for Liverpool and whether they would be able to hang on. And ultimately, they couldn't, even if it was a mistake or not. Can we also say Salah Salah's really good? And, um, Salah's, yes. Some, some people are also saying his lack of a celebration was because it was Chelsea. It was actually because of the tragedy in Egypt. So...
3: There's definitely an issue though with Liverpool's ability to defend a lead. I think that I think that more than anything is holding them back from uh, from any like notable success.
0: There's very little um, confidence on the side at the moment that when they do get a lead, then they'll be able to keep it, and that nervousness feeds into it's almost self-fulfilling, if you like. Um, in the same way that Klopp's self-fulfilling prophecy of positivity comes true, fans have taken that. And that same blueprint has been used for negativity. Um, and so the believers that Klopp once had, um, to use his own cliche against him, um, believe a little bit less right now because they don't believe they have anything to believe in. If you can believe that believers that believable in so many believable words. It's like
1: a Russian doll of believing that. Um, should yeah, we talk so the word got bigger. Should we talk about the mighty Tottenham Hotspur? who dropped points at home once again at Wembley to uh, to West Brom this time. Gary Megson's West Brom. Uh, I actually took Nico to go and see this game. I was talking to him about how, you know, it was going to be a 2-0, 3-0 win. It was just a game Spurs needed to, uh, to get back on form. So league. arrogant. Uh, didn't really work out that way. Uh, walked in to the stadium as uh Saman Rondon was scoring that opener. Did it go like
0: you did were you like yeah, we don't even need to turn up on time, this one's an easy
1: three It's fine. I saw I sort of underestimated the uh the time it would take to get to the stadium with Nico, uh, who was obviously visiting London this week. Um, He's he's got like a little walking stick, hasn't he? Because he he did his, was it his ACL that he did? ACL, yeah. Yeah, so the the walking stick, I didn't really compensate for that at the time. It it takes to walk from Wembley Park tube station to the actual stadium itself. So we missed essentially the first goal, heard a cheer and assumed Spurs had scored. But uh, no, it was actually West (laughs) Brom. But it was like,
0: yes, can't believe, oh, for fuck's
1: sake. Which of course was the worst possible thing because, you know, Spurs have struggled this season to break down teams who come and sit deep, Uh, teams uh, Spurs would be expected to be at home at least, like Burnley, who are obviously playing very well this season, Uh, Swansea as well, Um, and it's something that, you know, there was a lot made last week about how Spurs have failed to pick up points away against the top six, where Spurs pick up the majority of their points, especially last season, where we didn't lose a single game at home, is in those home games. That's why we can't afford to drop any points. Already this season, we've we've dropped more points at home than we did in the entirety of last season. Really? Yeah. Well, you know, that, that was true yeah. after the third. I think the third home game uh, we played. But after this weekend, I think it's looking, or it's becoming increasingly clear that you know it is going to be a, a real tight race for that fourth spot. There's only three points separating Chelsea in third, and Liverpool in sixth now. I think it's going to come down to Arsenal, Spurs, Liverpool, all chasing for that that last spot. And this is where Spurs need to be picking up points. I think, you know, we've started slowly in every game at home in these in these games where it's been very frustrating against opposition that sits deep. There seems to be this lack of tempo, this lack of creativity that makes it difficult to break them down. But it's difficult to see how Spurs solve this issue. I mean, it was made even harder on Saturday against West Brom when they scored in the fourth minute, I think. You know, they sat back after that. The ben Foster seemed to be wasting time from the 10th minute onwards. But, I mean, the question is, how do you think Mauricio Pochino solves this problem, Chris? I mean, it seems at the moment we're missing Toby de who went off against Real Madrid in the Champions League for injury. Looks like he might not be back until January now. Uh, I don't think it's any coincidence that in the last four league games, Spurs have only taken a possible four points from 12 available. They do seem to be missing him, not only missing their defensive solidity, considering we've conceded in all four of our last four games, when we'd conceded zero in the four games preceding that, but also uh, the creativity, the bringing the ball out from the back, that that element that you give Spurs.
3: Yeah, definitely. I think you're right to point to Aldo Vierald as well. I think he's hugely influential in terms of starting attacks and, and being able to, to pass through the lines. Um, I th- how you solve that is, is difficult because... I don't know if there's a ready-made replacement. And, and the problem you have when you have a back three is it does use a lot of your centre-back options in your squad. It's, I don't think it's that realistic to have six or seven you know, first-choice centre-backs. You look at the fact that Cameron Carter-Vickers has been, been loaned out for the season, more than likely because I think it was uh, aware that he wouldn't get first-team opportunities. I mean, he's playing in a back three at, at Sheffield United, which seems um, a good idea. In terms of preparing them, but I think in terms of a change, I have to confess there's there's nothing that really jumps out to me as as obvious to do. Mm. Um, a, a back four would would really nullify the the influence of fullbacks realistically. It might give them a little bit more um, structure, perhaps. Um, but I think yeah, the the key thing for me is is I do feel like they miss that influencer in the final third. I don't necessarily think this is is something that's wrong with the defence. I think it's something where I look at, say, Richarlison, for example, and I I can't help but feel a player like him who's willing to be direct, who's willing to be aggressive, uh, could really be an influence for for Spurs. Because I I like Son, I think he has that running in him, but I think he's better on the counter-attack, whereas Mm. if if you've got a a fullback standing you up, Charlison's willing to go at him. I don't know if, if Son and and the members of that squad really are. Bar Eric Lamella, who at this precise moment is is no more guaranteed than the snow at Christmas.
1: <laughs> he's supposed to be back in contention, Eric Lamella, for the uh, the game at Leicester on Tuesday night. But we'll we'll see about that. As I long mean. as he's good in training. Yeah, uh, Pochettino did come out after the game. He seemed keen to point out that Spurs have got the same number of points. As last season at this stage, while obviously they, they
0: and we, fin- we didn't we didn't win last season either. Yeah,
1: but I, I just think that, as I said, I feel like it's becoming clear that it's going to be a race for the top four spot for Spurs, and we can't really afford to to drop these points at home, at Wembley, I should say.
0: Adam, um do you, do you think? I mean, it's it's clear that um, they're not quite as powerful as they want to be. I think. Uh, they want to, you know, the description that we gave them in the documentary and the kind of football they wanted was to be a bit more maybe a bit more controlling against a team like West Brom mm. um, and able to move West Brom around a little bit better and I think that's where maybe, like Chris is saying, a player like Son doesn't quite do that Yeah um,
1: it, was, it was it was restrained, Son was probably Spurs best attacking outlet in that first half, uh, he seemed to get a lot of space down the left hand side, when it switched to this four at the back end, and Son was pushed out wide on the left as opposed to sort of a, a central position. He did seem more threatening there. But there have been these these questions over Pochettino's team selection at home. I'm not hundred percent sure I agree with them, but you know, there's obviously the situation going on with Danny Rose at the moment. He was completely left out of the squad for Saturday's game. and um, Serge Aurier as well, who's left on the bench, um, you know, his performances this season have either been incredibly impressive or questionable. But a lot of people wanted to see him start over Kieran Trippier just to give that extra dimension on, on the, in the wing-back position. It's frustrating. I think there is this real lack of temper when we're playing at home. And as you say, that ability to, to pass the ball with pace, to move West Brom around, to, to pull them out of position, we didn't really do enough uh, on the ball to do that to force those opportunities to break them down and in the end West Brom could have won it towards the end of the game as Spurs were sort of pushing forward looking for that that winner West Brom had two great chances towards the end so it is a worry um, and I think it does sort of crystallize over the past few weeks the form for Spurs as I said four points from a possible 12 uh, they've lost two drawn one one just one game there it does uh, it does create those worries. And I know there was this sense that, oh, the, the idea of the Wembley curse is gone. you know It was all rubbish after we beat Liverpool. But I think the question is is more complicated than that. Yes, we beat Liverpool, but because they played into Spurs' hands, I think when we're playing against these teams, even when we beat Palace, even when we beat uh, Bournemouth at home, it was only by one solid goal, one single goal, I should say. So I think there are those issues there. And I think Poshino you know, needs to find the solutions sooner rather than later because we've got Brighton and Stoke at home at Wembley before the year is out, which uh, which could cause questions as well, and you know we could drop more points in this race for the top four. But we'll see what happens. Uh, you, Leicester on Tuesday night. Do,
0: do you? But, uh, yeah. I mean, Leicester Tuesday night—that's a good chance. But you need to pay your you need to pay your squad more than two frogs in a conker. This this is what I'm really mystified by, Chris. You liked this post, and I hadn't seen it. Gary Megson has said some of the weirdest shit. You uh, might have he, mastermind. He, said. he masterminded this. He masterminded it, right? And it was very, very clever. Let me bring, I'll bring up the doc I pasted it into. Um, but he also keeps using the phrase two frogs and a conquer. Two dead frogs and a conquer. What does that mean? Well, I think, Chris, it's in reference to um payment. So there's a few contexts here, because he said some very weird shit in the past. So he says. Ah, uh, maybe it makes his post-match quip about bringing Kevin Cooper to Edgeley Park for two dead frogs and a Conquer had some feeling behind it. He then talks about uh, we were paying him two dead frogs and a conquer. Um, I'm going to trapeze around I'm not going sorry, I'm not going to trapeze around the country uh, for two dead frogs and a conquer each week. He's really obsessed with two dead frogs in a conk. Wow, if anyone knows what that means, I think they should
1: uh should tweet us in because i'm I'm lost by makes
0: It must be a Manchester sense. thing, but then over the weekend he said um I've enjoyed being amongst football people again they call it banter these days. I don't know what that is <laughs>
1: <laughs> Jeez. Oh, good old listen it's just such a great <laughs> quote we we I, I
0: don't know what that is
1: we've talked about uh Lawrence's team we've talked about my team let's talk about your team Chris um you Man United! Been, yeah, you've changed him the <laughs> ass off this week. Four defeats in a row for Newcastle United, Chris. I mean, obviously, uh, a 3 defeat to Watford this weekend. Obviously, Marco Silva's done fantastic work at Watford. Um, obviously, he's burnished his reputation once again with this victory. But at the same time, what's going wrong for Rafael Benitez in Newcastle? Because just a few short weeks ago, there was a lot of optimism in the club, um, mid-table position, I think doing better than many people expected that seems to have dissipated now, doesn't it?
3: I mean, that's the beauty of this podcast. It's um, it's a little bit like break time at school where you all have nice Game Boys and PSPs and I've got two dead frogs and a conga. Um, <laughs> in in so much as... Look, they didn't spend uh, a lot of money in the summer in terms of uh, the context of, of what they got rid of and how much they, they brought in from sales. And it's, it's meant that the squad is actually quite shallow. It doesn't have a lot of options. And then a lot of its first choice options are championship players adjusting to the Premier League. But there are a lot of players who don't. And, and what I was saying to, to you before, Adam, before we started recording was, it, it's not necessary that Rafa Benitez hasn't made bad transfer deals. That is a, a true statement. You look at Ashraf Lazar... Is, is not the greatest. I don't think Javi Mankiw is that good either. But then you have to add in the fact that his margin for error is smaller than any other Premier League manager because he hasn't got a lot of money. And it's easy to turn around at the same time and say, well, you know, that's just the way it is. That would be acceptable if that was the financial situation the club were in. They could spend more money. They have the um, the means with which to do so but the owner chooses not to do so. And I think that's where the frustration emanates from. Um, Because if it was to draw a comparison like Sunderland, who, to be frank, just don't have any more money to spend, then you can can almost accept that and say, well, you know what, this is the consequence for years' worth of actions. But Newcastle really haven't spent a huge sum, um, contextually obviously in, in a transfer net spend, for a long, long time under Ashley. And, and that's the problem, is that you you come up against a team like Watford, who again, I wouldn't say spent a huge sum either, but they didn't have huge outgoings, um, and they were able to pay good money for good players, like Andre Gray, um, you know, like Richarlison. It makes their job much easier, and it allows someone like Silva to have a balanced squad with a bit of depth to it. So on Saturday, he could bring on Etienne Capoue, Roberto Pereira, just two examples of the type of quality player that Newcastle don't have, um, and it means, furthermore, that it limits the options that, that Benitez has. He he named a four four two at the weekend, but that honestly, I think he got that really wrong because Diame and Shelby weren't weren't going to provide any kind of defensive cover. Um, in fact, there was a, a real lacking of industry on on the team as a whole, and that was quite disappointing because that's not usually what you associate with with Newcastle uh, under Benitez. But the fact that he can only really go four four two or four two three one, it makes it hard to be adaptable. Now he can be stubborn, so I'm I'm not letting him off with that one. That you know, if he had more players, he would be uh, a lot more pragmatic. But at the same time, you know, I I just think. They're in such a difficult position because the strikers aren't good enough. Um, None of their strikers have proved uh, consistent in the top flight. Uh, the, The best midfielder from last season, Matt Ritchie, has never looked consistent in the Premier League yet. And so it paints them into a very narrow alleyway that really, if we're sitting here January 1st and Newcastle have 25 to 30 points, I will be absolutely delighted. Um, and I think that's where the fans frustration emanates from is that, again, this should be a lot easier than it is, not because they're Newcastle or anything grandiosely stupid like that, but purely because they've got money, but he doesn't want to spend it. And it's, it's another needless risk. I think that's what I should have just said to sum it up. It's another needless risk Mike Ashley's taken and he didn't have to.
1: Obviously, there's them short-term worries you've spoken of, Chris. But perhaps in the long term, more worrying is the fact that the takeover deal for the club seems to have stalled. Have we have we heard anything about that? Have we got any updates?
3: Well, the thing is, if, if for anyone that's even you know come close to this kind of thing before, um, these things take time and a lot of time because you really do have to examine every nook and cranny, cross every T and dot every single I. And the the, the best way to articulate that is PCP and Amanda Stavley asked for 27 years worth of club accounts. Um, And they will, as a financial institution, be incredibly diligent about the way that they go about this, which is a stark comparison to Ashley, who didn't even check the books when he bought the place. Um, At the same time, they want to get it for... What they feel is a price that will maximize any potential profit they can make, or, for, you know, for the, the least amount. It's a business at the end of the day. At the same time, Ashley wants to maximize his profit, and he's been known to be, for want of a better term, a bastard of a negotiator. He will happily walk away from the table if if it's not what he wants. The problem is, I think actually he does want to sell. I think he wants out. I think he's a bit tired of of this and the stress and the difficulty in them, the the constantly needing to, um work really hard for even just a little modicum of profit. Um, and I think that plays into Stavley's hands a little bit. The good thing is she's facilitated club purchases before, as I wrote for, for Yahoo this week. Um, so I think it will get done, hopefully by Christmas, because January is a big month for them in terms of what they do. And I think if they could give Benitez 30, 40 million pounds, it will just delay a lot of fears. Um, and so, yeah, I, th- I think it'll take a while. But like I say, as I wrote for Yahoo, for me, I think this sale is less about a business transaction and it's more more an exorcism of um, the, the toxicity that's been allowed to proliferate under Mike Ashley.
1: Hmm. Yeah, the Financial Times reporting that a, a second bid is expected, but uh, any deal unlike to happen before Christmas, so we'll see what happens there. Um, we should talk about Everton, Lawrence. Um, the shambles continues. They yes, lost 4-1 should. to Southampton yep. this week. Uh, following on from a five-one defeat to Atlanta in the week, so uh, just the nine goals conceded in one week. Four. I'm just
0: lighting some candles. is that is that all right? Can you hear? It? Okay. Yeah,
1: go, go for it, mate. You you yeah. do you you do what you got to do. Um, but please, still do talk to us about this situation. Obviously, the uh, the indecision and uncertainty over the new manager uh, certainly hasn't done the club any favours. It's almost certain now that David Unsworth is David Dunsworth. Uh, and the reports today are that Big Sam, they're going to reopen talks with Big Sam, the Everton owners. Um, a few weeks ago, we heard that Big Sam wasn't too impressed by the overtures that was made by uh, Farhad Mashiri He didn't feel wanted enough. Um, but clearly, they're going to do whatever it takes now to get him back in, given that Everton are two points above the relegation zone. Is Big Sam or nothing?
0: Well, I mean, nothing is certainly a, an option. Um, I mean... Yeah, I see. What's I see? There's a real issue, Everton. That, sorry, there's a real issue, Everton. Um, that they, I think they thought that they were maybe a better prospect, or uh, maybe they thought they thought that the it was quite toxic, maybe in the dressing room, and so got rid of obviously Koeman, Um and then it's just sort of gotten worse since then. I think What I do find unusual about these situations, I don't know about anyone else out there, but um, the, the players. Re- without any coaching, really don't seem to know what shape to play. In. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, they seem clueless in many ways. Yeah, but that's weird, isn't it? I mean, these are some experienced players out there who have, you know, even if they're, even if you're in the under-18s, yeah,
1: they should have a baseline of knowledge and uh, tactical ways. You should
0: have a, ba- I mean, you should have a baseline of roughly where you're meant to stand on the pitch. Do you know what I mean? Seemingly not. I mean, seemingly not. The thing is. The thing is, I can't help
1: but feel this is pretty catastrophic mismanagement because, I mean, it's something we criticise clubs for a lot. Why sack a manager if you haven't got someone else lined up? I mean, say what you want about West Ham bringing in David Moyes after sacking Slaven Bilic, but that's happened within the time frame that Everton sacked Ronald Koeman and have still let this whole situation drag on with, with David Unsworth, etc. West Ham made their move. Yes, you can criticise that move, but they, they made a decisive move. They got their manager in. He's had two games under his belt already. And Everton are still in this situation. It just seems, just seems a shambles.
0: <laughs> yeah, at least at least they know they're doomed. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Whereas they may
1: have made the wrong move, but they made a
0: move. You know. It's the hope that it'll kill you. Um, uh, no, I, I mean obviously we don't want to see Everton get relegated from the league. I think that will be a terrible thing for the Premier League as well because Everton. I believe they're the,
1: they're the only club to never uh, be
0: relegated. Is that correct? Yeah, that's. I think that I think that's a fact. Oh, uh, they, obviously, they won't be the only club. Yeah, no, no, it's definitely true. Uh, it's, um, but they're not the only club not to be relegated. Obviously, from the Premier League, there are loads of clubs that haven't been relegated from Premier League. Um, but as we know with Leeds, no club is too big to go down. The issue is this. I mean, there, I guess there are there are miniature parallels, but not really. Um, but there was, you know, Everton have got this new investment. There was fresh hope. There's all, you know, there's all of the great things that you'd hope to see they would allow them to compete with the top teams. And out of nowhere, it, well, not out of nowhere, I think a lot of people predicted this wouldn't go well. Um, we've seen a lot of uh, very silly decisions made in a short space of time. And no one seems to be putting the brakes on that, which I just, I find really unusual.
1: Uh, Everton have never been relegated from the Premier League. We, we were right. Uh, one of seven teams never never been relegated. You know who else has never been relegated from the Premier League? Big Sam, Chris, Uh, is Big Sam the man to save Everton?
3: Uh, Of the potential uh, coaches suggested, I would say he's he's probably got a better chance than most. I know people sort of clamoured for Marco Silva, and I think Marco Silva is a very good coach. I don't know what he does with that team, though, that that makes them um, have a sharp turnaround. And I say that because if you look at the Watford and... And Hull sides, there was a decent injection of pace put into them. He did it in the January window with with Hull when he got like some Markovic in the ass. Um, I guess you could say it's an irony in this fact that he signed the ass. But the same with with Watford, it's Richarlison and it's Firmino, it's people like that. And I think the thing with Big Sam is I watched when he was at, at Sunland, he didn't actually have the greatest start with them either. Um, his first ten games weren't really a a cascade of points and victories. Um, so it does take a bit of time for his methods to settle in. But I look at that squad. You've got the likes of Ashley Williams, who for me is a is a kick-it-out defender. Michael Keane, who thrived in the Burnley side that, again, liked to keep things basic. And you look at those principles Allardyce outlined on Sky about how to, quote-unquote, avoid relegation. Things like not taking risks in your own half. Those are things I would say will will mesh well with that squad. The concern you have, no matter who you hire is, they don't really have a recognised centre-forward. Wayne Rooney doesn't like to play that role. He doesn't really work very well in that role either. And I think one point that I saw made that was quite a a good one was was by Ped on, on Toffee TV, which was Romelu Lukaku not only dragged Everton's back line 10-15 yards, it pushed the opposition's back 10-15 yards, whereas now, because there's no threat of pace in behind, teams are are pushing up against Everton and squeezing the space a bit more because they don't feel as if there's a a concern with that space in behind them. Um, They've got some pace in there, Morales, Vasic, uh, Lennon, all have pace, but it's whether you can use that effectively, and I'm not sure how they do that right now because at the minute for me watching unsworth it kind of seems like he's just jumping between formations it was a four two three one that doesn't really fit them the back three i wrote a, a piece on medium again this and i could see why he picked the back three it was to give them width but it just didn't work it looked just as disorganized as every other game he's taken charge of
0: yeah don't change the formation when you can't even get the other one right do you know let's right we haven't nailed this one let's try a back three
3: that's the thing. It does just feel like he's lurching from idea to idea, but it's it's so pointless when the foundations aren't even there. Of of someone like Ashley Williams being a a vocal character or something, like that. and and you look at uh, Phil Jagielka, bless him, thirty five years old now. He looks every day of that thirty five years old. And and if you looked at the the take on map for Southampton, they just went down that right side every single time because they Incredible, knew. Yeah. Lennon is a right wing back, is, is not his favourite position. And Jagielka's got no real legs on him anymore. That's a
0: huge problem, I think, for those guys. Is that it, I mean, you see how important mentality and instilling that mentality is to a squad. Because how quickly that's fallen apart is a stunt. Is, it's amazing, really. Even, even this short run of games, it's possible to turn that around, obviously, because easy come, easy to go. But, but um, it's, it still must be very unusual to feel that way as a mm-hmm. club. Um, and and then see all that investment go the other
3: way and that was the problem with the summer window and we we talked about it at the time is that yeah okay you can sign Sigurdsson and all this the Sigurdsson deal in isolation looked bad the Clarsson deal again in isolation looked bad and I'm sure Walsh is getting a lot of pelders for it but for all that money spent um, they didn't think to take care of the, the issues or the aspects of the team and the squad that had fallen into disrepute the fact that they only really had one or two fullback options. The fact that the centre backs were incredibly ageing. The fact that again they didn't have a, a striker to replace Romelu Lukaku. It's it's all issues that seemed so painfully obvious in the summer, but for some reason they didn't, um, you know, decide to to sort at the time.
0: I think they thought maybe goals would come from another place. I think they thought the goals would come from the system, and it, it you know, it does seem from a very rudimental standpoint to hark more towards a. <laughs> Um, a Netherlands model to an ajax looking model from an English person's perspective I think because the emphasis was in a place where you could play the ball but they didn't buy, it didn't seem like a very balanced side and I think everyone pointed that out in the summer
1: Shall we finish up our Premier League talking points by mentioning Swansea who drew 0-0 at home to Bournemouth they stopped the rot, stopped a a fifth successive defeat but things looking pretty bleak for the Swans at the moment Chris, uh, they're currently just one point above uh, bottom place with nine for the season. Uh, Paul Clement under pressure. I mean, every team around him, the five teams, the bottom five teams have sacked their manager apart from Swansea. How long do you think Clement's got in this job?
3: As my dad said at the weekend, Paul Clement looks like a car salesman, and that's not a good thing. Um, to, to me, watching them, I just don't see what they're trying to do. I don't, I don't understand the idea. Um you look at, and I think it's best typified by Renato Sanchez, who, for me, is getting pelters every week. And and it's that wonderful thing that Robbie Savage and, and Tim Sherwood have been thrown out about. You know, if it was a Swansea youth team player, he'd never get back in the team. <sighs> Great. Brutal. The, the problem people like Sanchez have is they come into this <laughs> team and they don't really <laughs> That's know...
0: That's such what, a stupid point, by the way. It's such an amazingly stupid point. It's yeah, like... like if Ronaldo, hasn't, Ronaldo has barely scored many this season and, you know, he's, he looked a little bit off it. Well, if he was a Swansea youth player, he wouldn't get back in the team.
3: Well, no. That's a, of course. <laughs> we the expectation. It's just an, an empty platitude. It's, you know what I mean, like... Not from
0: Robbie Savage.
3: Just, you know, why not film it in black and white and read it off your phone? It'll be more interesting then. Like, it, Tune in to BT next week. It's just a, the the problem is Sanchez is, is not a terrible player. He really isn't. And, and I've been watching some of his Benfica games from, from way back when and seeing kind of what made him such an influential player. And it's the fact that he was carrying the ball first and foremost and using his athleticism. I don't see him being able to do that in this Swansea side. And, it, and again, it feels fitting that we go from Everton to Swansea because they have a similar issue where their summer spending seemed incredibly lopsided and ignorant to previous issues. So they bring in Tammy Abraham, who, again, may become a fantastic forward, but has done nothing to prove himself in the Premier League. So if that goes south at any point, go. who are you relying on after that to get your goals? It's guys like McBurney and and people that, again, have even less pedigree than than Abraham does. And I think, it, it for me, it feels like such a drastic departure from the Swansea that we know, who were planners, who were meticulous in their detail and now I look at this coach who again when he came in yep they won games you know the January transfer window seemed to be ideal and at this point his, his record's pretty much rivaling Bob Bradley's and, and Bradley was laughed out the league as some kind of charlatan so I, I think the, there needs to be a point where Swansea decide either look we go with someone else or we actually install some kind of structure in this. And January first, we go after a striker. We know will will give them some options because because even Borny, he he's come back with no momentum behind him at all. And it's it's great to bring a player back that has a lot of um, good good karma, if you will, with the supporters or whatever phrase you want to use. But he's not scored goals, and and that's that's the concern I have is that the their strategy seems so disjointed, not just in transfers, but also tactically as well. And that's not something I thought we'd ever level at Paul Clement, because he seems quite adept in that aspect of the game. Mm.
1: Let's move on to part two then. Uh, Let's welcome Chloe Beresford to talk about the situation at AC Milan, who have sacked their manager, Vincenzo Montella, and brought in Gennaro Gattuso. So we're now joined by Chloe Beresford, the Serie A correspondent for the Sportsman. Chloe, welcome to the Front Free.
2: Thanks for having me on.
1: Thanks for coming on. We're here, of course, to talk about AC Milan. Chloe, they've sacked Vincenzo Montella and appointed club legend Gennaro Gattuso as his successor. Let's talk Montella first. He impressed last season, of course, but this season his Milan side have been a real disappointment with this weekend's 0-0 draw with Genoa proving to be the final straw after a string of disappointing Results, Chloe?
2: Yeah, um, it's actually the uh, fourth nil um, when they haven't scored at San Zero uh, in terms of league games. So I think the fans there have really voiced their frustration at not scoring. Um, and I think. You know, you can sometimes tell with managers when they um, do their post-match interviews when they're sort of, when they're done really and when they can't, they're not going to be able to turn things around. And the things he was sort of saying, you know, every week, he was like, well, you know, we played well and, and uh, you know, we we were improving and, it, you know, he just he just didn't seem to have, he couldn't admit where we're going wrong and he didn't seem to have any ideas as to how he could, how he could pull them out of the mire really. Um, And it just seemed like I didn't expect them to do it that soon. But it it was definitely coming.
1: Mm, I mean, they've pulled a trigger there, as you said, because he he didn't seem to have the answers. He simply didn't get the best out of this team this season. A team in which I think over £200 million was invested this summer. Is it fair to say Mm -hmm. that Eastman fans are entitled to expect more than an 11th place, as it is now, with over a third of the season gone?
2: Um, I think i think uh entitled is 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 the op- optimum word there really because you you can't just throw money at a team and and just expect them to win i mean obviously ac milan have such um you know su- such a great history mm. but recently because things have gone so wrong uh you you, you know it's like building a house on sand there's n- there's nothing there's no foundations yeah. um and montella was you know he was working well last season on a very tight budget whilst this uh takeover was going through and then all of a sudden it's turned on its head in the summer they, they've splashed the cash and they, you suddenly expected to create a team with all these new players, and you know sides that have had great investment uh, in the past. It, it's it's taking them a long time to to get where they want to be. You can't you can't just throw money at it and, and expect it to work. It's just it's just not realistic.
1: Where do you think it went wrong from this season in terms of? On the pitch then, I mean, you're talking there about how it's four games without a goal at the San Siro. Is it in a more attacking sense where he he sort of failed to find any fluency there? I mean, where did it sort of go wrong for him this season?
2: Um, I think I think they've had defensive troubles. They've brought in um, Benucci from Juventus, who was obviously mm. a fantastic signing, but he struggled to replicate the form that he showed um, at Juventus. And there've been a lot of mistakes and, and bad errors that are so uncharacteristic of him. Um, but also, up front, they, they brought Nikola Kalinic in from Fiorentina. And he, he's a striker that has proved that he can't score without great service. He's, you know, he's, he's an in-the-box sort of striker that needs needs to be laid on a plate. And they've not been really creating that for him. Um, and he, he also, he, he's a player that suffers from a lack of confidence. If he, If his head drops, then, you know it's a disaster really so uh, you know I don't really know why Montella persevered with him because they've got the youngster Patrick Cutrone who's who's been um who's been very good for them and he scored three goals in three starts whereas Kalinic only had one in 11 so you know it's perhaps a little bit of a selection issue but he was you know Montella was trying all different formations different personnel and You know, it wasn't settled and that was a complete difference to last season. And, you know, there was just so much pressure and expectation on him.
1: Do you think he should have been given more time then? Has he been hard done by him, Montella, given, now we know, his successor? Should he be given more of a chance by the the club's hierarchy to turn things around? Or was it time to pull the trigger?
2: Um, It's hard to say because the problems at Milan are so... Uh, complex that he he uh, Montella was just a symptom of a general problem so in in some ways i think he he needed to be sacked but in other ways i think um the the club have been unfair on him in the sense that he he was brought in and promised promised money um and the takeover took so much longer with all these delays than was expected so he had to manage with with what he had and he did a good job with what he had last season. And then this season they've suddenly invested and he's expected to produce miracles. And, you know, their, their business plan is highly unusual in the fact that um, these Chinese owners have come in and they, they have based their business plan on results on the pitch. They, they want uh, to get into the champions league and that then will finance the money that's been spent and they've had to acquire money from um, a hedge fund and it, it, they're very aggressive in getting their repayments back. And it, it's, it's all so deep rooted that you can't lay all the blame at Montella's door. It's, it's just a mess.
1: Oh, yeah, there's clearly there's issues higher up at the club. I think I saw Gabriel Marcotti, who's obviously the the ESPN and and the Times journalist, talking earlier this week about how the club could be changing hands next season. There seems to be a lot of uncertainty around those owners, with, as you say, this yeah. highly unusual business plan. Um, as yeah. you said, there seems to be a lot riding on qualification for the Champions League this season, obviously, the, the monetary rewards that come with it. Uh, Do Milan, now with Gattuso coming in, really have a realistic chance of, of finishing their top four, though? And if not, do you think Gattuso could could switch focus to try to win the Europa League? Is that the most realistic route of getting back into the elite competition in Europe?
2: Yeah, I really can't see them um, qualifying for the Champions League through the league. Obviously, you've got um, Juventus, Napoli, Roma, uh, who are very strong. And and this year, Inter have really, really improved under Mm. Luciano Spalletti. Uh, And then you've got Lazio and Sampdoria knocking on the door as well. And all of those sides are... Head and shoulders above Milan at the moment, and I don't think it's something that can be turned around by just just bringing in somebody else. You know, he may he may be a club legend, but he's not really. Uh, Got the experience managerially. I I just, I just don't see it. Um, In terms of the Europa League, they have been doing better in that competition than in the league, and you know maybe that maybe that is a more realistic chance. But you know equally once once teams start dropping into the competition from the Champions League, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough whichever way you look at it, really.
0: What
1: has been the reaction generally to Gattuso's appointment? Because obviously, there's no lack of passion with uh, with Gennaro Gattuso, but surely he's a questionable appointment given his managerial record. I believe he's lost more games than he's won at three of the four sides he's managed so far in his managerial career. He's going to have his work cut out to prove he's the man for the job, isn't
2: he? Yeah, I would think so. <laughs> I was uh, I was I saw a slap earlier on to say that. Um, although Milan have had their uh, problems with with not scoring, he had 11 nil-nil draws at Pisa during 2016-17. So, wow. uh, <laughs> you know, I, th- I saw that and I thought, ah, right, OK. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't think, you know, he's obviously not that well qualified. Uh, he's got the passion and the heart. Um, you know, he, he might be able to improve the fortunes but I don't think he's a long-term mm. I don't think he's a long-term um, appointment at all I think they'll look to to bring somebody in but you know at the end of the season maybe but you know who who even knows who their owners are going to be mm. uh, by next season it's all it's all up in the air he, he, he might he might be able to improve things in the short term but
1: I doubt it. Yeah, there are (laughs) doubts over that. I mean, unless he can succeed expectations, as you say, it will be a short-term appointment. As you mentioned, there's so much uncertainty around the ownership. We don't know who's going to own the club next season, whether it's going to change hands, if it's going to be flipped, etc. But there is this sense that, you know, Milan haven't had an elite manager since Max Allegri left in 2014. And that does seem to be what they're missing. And there are potential options out there. I mean, I can't help but think Antonio Conte, would be a great appointment. He's cast out on his future at Chelsea. Says that he'll be returning to Italy in the not too distant future. Even Carlo Ancelotti is out of a job at the moment. Could they potentially reappoint him at AC Milan? Do you think these options are, are realistic?
2: Yeah, I think um, depending on the on the on the finances and if the club can prove that they're going to be stable that. Uh, somebody like Conte could be a realistic choice. I mean, he's he's spoken quite a few times about being homesick, and I think I think a return to Italy is realistic t- for him. Um, again, I I don't know I don't know about Ancelotti because it, it depends on whether he'd be willing to to go back there with the club in the state that it is. Because you know, I, I guess he's got a reputation and he doesn't want to tarnish that. Uh, and it also has been linked with the vacant Italy job. So uh, I'm, I'm not so sure about Ancelotti, but yeah, Conte could be a realistic realistic choice.
1: Mm. Could be interesting. then. AC Milan's are going to be putting their uh, hopes on that one. Conte returning to Italy and, and come back to Milan. We'll see what happens. But Chloe, for now, thank you so much for joining us on the front three. Where can the listeners find more of you?
2: Um, You can uh, find me on Twitter at Chloe J Beresford and I also have a Facebook page. You can just search Chloe Beresford on there and you'll find me.
1: Right, we're back for part three. Uh, Thanks for Chloe for coming on the front three. Some very interesting thoughts there on the situation at AC Milan. Uh, Gattuso, Chris, is going to save Milan.
3: He'll he'll give them uh, a good kick up the backside no matter what. I mean, that was... There's the, the press conference from his time. I think it was at OFI Crete or somewhere like that um, in the Cypriot League where he does just go nuts in a press conference. And the beauty of it is, obviously, the, the journalists don't speak English and vice versa. He doesn't speak Cypriot or, or whatever the language is there. Apologies for not knowing. And so it's all done through a translator. Um, and even his English isn't the greatest, to be fair. So it's, it's good, but it's not perfect. But it's um, it's all very hilarious to watch. He was at Pisa as well for a while and they had a bizarre record under him. They pretty much didn't score but didn't concede either. Um and I think look, he, he yeah, he loves the club, definitely. Um I thought you were gonna say two dead frogs in a conga. Um he um he clearly loves the club. The cons- the thing with this is and I'm, it just to me it points to the fact that this club is a mess at the minute. And and the, the, let's be fair, the warning signs were there from the second that the owner couldn't get the funding very easily. Um, yes, you can spend money, buy Sylvie, you can buy Kessie and all this. And there was a lot of positive feelings around Milan in the summer. But at the same time, you look at, say, Inter, who were laughed at during the, the summer for some of their business, and they look on a much better footing to me. Um, because I think they've got a plan first and foremost. You know they've got someone in Spalletti that that knows what he's doing, that has worked it's in this kind of environment man. before, and and it it's it's planned and it's meticulous. And I think that's that's when you should yeah, always worry as a football fan when it doesn't feel like your club has a plan. And I think that's why I look at someone like Newcastle and I'm not hugely worried because I feel like Benitez does have a plan. He's planned for all of this, and so it's it's. It's what Milan need more than anything. They don't need more big signings. They need someone with a uh, a vision that extends past next week and next month.
0: Conte, Conte, Conte. Yeah. Conte. Oh yeah, that'd be a great appointment.
1: Uh, what else do we have this weekend? We saw uh, Barcelona got a, a late point against Valencia, won all in the end. Probably should have, probably should have won it. Uh, the ghost goal. It was another famous ghost goal. Lionel Messi, uh, pretty much scoring in the thirtieth minute, um, but ruled out. La Liga is the only big five European league to not have uh, goal line technology. So, um, yeah, I think after that, we'll, we'll, we'll probably see that brought in next season. Um, uh, did you guys talk about Lionel Messi signing his new contract on Thursday's podcast? Was that after? Did that happen after? It was after. Yes. He well, yeah. he's, he's signed a new contract until 2021. Um, I believe he's got something like a, a 600 million buyout clause. I think it's 626 million. 620, pounds yeah. buyout clause. Um, Does it come with an accountant as well? Yeah, it probably should, yeah. Funnily enough, all these Barcelona players get into tax issues. Mm -hmm. Um, What what do you make of this noise? Because I was a little bit surprised by this. I was starting to think that, you know, um, as good as Barcelona are are doing to Messi this season, they are top of the league, they're four points clear of Valencia after that result of the weekend... I was just feeling like long-term, maybe it was time for for Messi to move on. I was thinking, maybe there's something to this this reunion, potential with Guardiola at Manchester City, prove himself in the Premier League. It looks like he's now going to be spending the rest of his career, uh, the remaining years of his career, at Barcelona. Do you think that's the,
0: the right decision for him? As far as we know, I mean, he could... Um, Messi's still such a powerful player that if he wanted to leave, he could just um, say he wanted to leave. You know, there's nothing really... These can't, Obviously, uh, a buyout clause basically is um, it, first of all, I think it's mandatory in certain countries, um, and then you also have to uh, acknowledge that I think it's you know you don't necessarily have to meet that. That can just be more of a guideline. Um, the player can still leave even if, you, if even if the club don't pay that. Um, so there is there's a lot more there. Uh, I think he wanted to. He, the ultimate aim is to be a, a one club man and to you know be part of that culture in the long term. I'd be interested to see. I, I don't part of me feels like Messi Messi's obviously a great player but I'm not sure if um how much how much of what he wants to achieve his image and how much of what he wants to achieve how much of what he has achieved is is going to be achievable in post sort of in management speak as well because that I, I don't I don't know if Messi's the most inspirational figure is what I'm saying I- um, yeah, I see what you're saying. Do you know what I mean?
1: Oh, he's definitely a very um, insular seeming uh, person. He's not the most outspoken. I just, I mean, it's no idea that Ken Early brought up on the Second Captains podcast, another great podcast last week. Um, basically, that maybe Messi should leave Barcelona. Obviously, mm-hmm. that hasn't happened, but he's he's level on. I mean. they're Almost don't matter anymore because they've become this best thing. I was going to say he's level on on Ballon d'Ors with Cristiano Ronaldo, which is a travesty. I would suggest, mm. um, you know, obviously really? he wants to win more Champions League titles, he wants to win more league titles, but I think the European Cup, the Champions League, is the is the the, the premier honor that players want to win. Is that really likely with Barcelona? Is what I'm thinking. Uh, certainly not this year I don't think they're, they're anywhere near the favourites for this competition but given their transfer strategy and, and the way the club has been running in recent years I'm not sure that's a realistic prospect in the in the seasons to come whereas when you look at Manchester City they've probably got one of if not the best squads in the world one of the the most promising squads as well The, uh, the how talented the young players are they we're seeing how much Raheem Sterling's improved under Pep Guardiola like Kevin De Bruyne he's probably the best player in the league right now Leroy Sané as well if Messi moved to a club like that, he'd have more chances to win more Champions League titles and ultimately more Ballon d'Ors, which I think is is something that, you know, we give Cristiano Ronaldo criticism for focusing on those individual ones, but I think it is something that Messi cares about as well and wants to, to win more of those to define his career and define his legacy. Mm. I'm just not sure if Barcelona is going to be the place for him to do that in the final few years of his career, I think, next January, unless... You know, Messi or Ronaldo inspires their respective teams to World Cup glory. I think it will be uh, the first time we don't see Messi or Ronaldo win the Ballon d'Or since, what, 2007, is it, 2008? It might be someone like Kevin De Bruyne, etc. So I'm not 100% sure it is the right move for him, although there is that. I like that emotional uh, reason for staying at Barcelona, for being that one-club man. Uh, you know, he could still, is it Newell's Oh, boys, he still could go back to in Argentina to finish out his career. That's something he's, he said he wanted to do. Um but we'll see, we'll see. Uh, we should talk as well this weekend about how uh, Borussia Dortmund somehow capitulated, throwing away a four-goal lead at Schalke Chris. Uh, they were 4-0 up at half-time. Uh, it was 4-2 and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang got sent off. And they managed to to, uh, to completely fall apart. Uh, four finished in the end. There was talk in the week about how Peter Bosch had two games to save his job. Um, those two games didn't exactly go... Too well for him. First, Dorman lost two one to Spurs in the Champions League midweek. Now this result, I mean, is it time up for, for Peter
3: Bosch now? Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, it's it's a bizarre one with him. It's I mean, a lot of his decisions don't make sense. Um, I, th- I thought you know, I thought he was a very good coach at Ajax. I, I just wonder sometimes you look at the um, those disciples of Cruyff, if you will, Coleman people like that. I just wonder how adaptable the Cruyff principles are to situations um I wonder if you know it fits a league like the Eur but when it comes to the Bundesliga you need to be a bit more pragmatic you need to be a bit more uh maybe resolute in situations and and I think certainly he's taking some of those principles on and you could argue some of the principles are easier to implement than others you know the the short interchanges that kind of stuff um but yeah I've I've definitely I definitely wouldn't be surprised if he told me tomorrow that he had been sacked because I just think it's it's not been a good fit or a good start for for him and I think it's it's one thing to draw the derby at home it's an entirely different thing when you phone a little bit half time um that is just a, a collapse of epic proportions um and it's I yeah
0: Imagine conceding more than three goals. <laughs> oh. yeah. They've him, uh, oh. Liverpool's thunder in many ways.
1: But it, yeah. it looks like it but could. Speaking, bloody <laughs>
0: Liverpool aren't the shittest team in Europe.
1: Speaking of Liverpool, though, I mean, it, it looks like it could be a oh, timeout for well,
0: pierre emerick you know? Obamiang
1: mean, as This is good news for you, Lawrence. I mean, there's no, it isn't. no one wants
0: pierre Emerick Obamiang. I want mean,
1: to see... no. Would you not? I'd see him. I and mean, then Peter Bosch came out after the game and, and blamed Obamiang basically for that. That sort of yeah. defeat, saying his has been central.
0: the he's been public enemy number one mm. in, in Dortmund for a while because he's he seemed to have changed his demeanor. He's he's dressing more bling bling as the said, main issue. On, on the continent. Um, I, I think it was uh, Hor- uh James Horncross who said this on the continent. He said that was it was part of the image change for him. Um, that he had high aspirations, that he'd been shopping himself around and he was saying, you know, someone in China's big, 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 big money for me. And then they said, well, go then. And he went, well, he's, he's
1: disappeared up I hope his own you guys rear end. He's
0: disappeared up his own, yeah. uh, BAM, if you will.
1: Yes. Um, but you wouldn't like seeing the own, Liverpool. It looks like Dortmund could sell him in January. You know, someone's going to come in for him. Could be like a cut price deal almost. I mean, despite those sort of off the pitch ego still, issues. Yeah, but it's still a cut
0: price deal, is, is what? 30 million, 40 million? But for Pierre America, Obama. you're not tempted by that if you're Jürgen Klopp? I see someone who doesn't fix the problems that Liverpool have is the mm, problem. Yes. Um, and that, I mean, as much as it's nice, you know, it's obviously lovely when you think, wow, we're going to get a great player, but um, you know, you think of previous, maybe strikers who didn't quite fit what Liverpool needed at the time that have been there. Fernando Morientes, um, you know, Robbie Fowlery signing for Liverpool. Um, I'm trying to think of other strikers now uh, that have been bad at Liverpool. And, um, mm.
1: I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Ship out Storage on. Ship him out to West Ham in January. Bring Aubameyang in. That's not. It's not a bad little.
0: Well, apparently, apparently, Sturridge won't be allowed to leave because Liverpool don't want to um, spend in that area okay, um, yet, anyway. And and but he's worried that he won't be enough game time to get on the plane to Brazil, uh, to Russia. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. See if he gets his wish.
1: Let, let's finish up by giving a uh, some kudos to uh, the son of Patrick Clivey, Chris. Uh, Justin Clivey scored a hat trick this weekend uh, in a five-one win over Rhoda JC for Ajax. Uh, the clips doing the rounds, of course, because it's a fantastic hat trick for him. Um, turns out it's quite good at football. This guy, he, he's got the genes. He wearing shorts.
3: Yes, um, it was actually a really good hat trick as well. His, his touch. Um, he is a very different player to his dad. It's important to note that. He's a, a, a winger first and foremost, and he's a quite a good dribbler. Um, quite quick, quite good with the, the tricks and all of that stuff um, that the kids enjoy. Um, but yeah, he, he's part of quite it's a good F2. generation. Yeah, well, um, that's, um, that's good. K2, that's he, good. he's part of a very good generation at IX at the minute. you got the likes of Onana, De Ligt, Donny, uh, Donny van der Beek, uh, I'm trying to think who's the other one. Uh, Frankie De Jong. That's that's who I'm thinking of. Um, that are coming through at the same time. And um I mean it, it wasn't the it ha- it hasn't really been the greatest transition from for Ajax, from Peter Bowes to to the new coach. But if there is a, a glimmer of light it's people like Cliver because it's like I say, if you if you haven't seen it, go and watch his hat-trick because it's a really good piece of wing play for each for each goal. Wow,
1: that brings it in to this week's Front Free Weekend Review podcast, guys. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back on Thursday with a, a wrap-up of all the midweek Premier League action as well as a and a as always. Uh, until then, Chris, where can people find you? Is there any work you want to plug? Any writing?
3: Yes, uh, medium.com. Mm. I do yeah. a couple of uh, thoughts from the weekend's Premier League action. Um, something new I've tried.
1: Oh, yeah, I did read last week's one. I enjoyed it very much. So I look forward to reading this week's one. Uh, Lawrence, where can people find you? Uh, oh,
0: great question. Um, go, just go to the front three Twitter. Be lovely. Uh, at the front three. The numeral three. Yeah,
1: guys, do go and follow that. Magnanimous in defeat. <laughs> you can follow me at Adam Boltwood uh, on Twitter. Until Thursday, have a bloody great week.